It may be the first thing you ever quoted in front of a group from memory. Isn't it funny that John 3.16 is one of those verses that contains everything because it has the whole gospel in a single sentence. And yet, that simple, profound statement of God's amazing grace has led millions of people to faith in Christ. There is no telling over the history of the church how many times somebody took that particular verse and sat down with another person or proclaimed it from a pulpit or somehow shared John 3.16 and people came to know Jesus because of the power of that single, simple sentence. We need a gospel message. The message that God gave his son to save everyone who believes. The danger is we can allow the message of John 3.16 to become all too familiar. You know, we say it, we quote it, we've memorized it, we can share it. But we start, uh, stop thinking about it and realizing the power of it and allowing it to speak to our lives. We miss the message of what God did, of how Almighty God held nothing back to give us everlasting hope of eternal life. This morning, I want us to begin looking together at the fact that the cross where God gave his son was his plan for our eternal hope. As we continue to think about the fact that our hope is in the cross, I want us to look at what the cross meant to God Almighty. What was happening in the Father's heart? What was going on in the Father's mind? How could this be part of the Father's plan for saving you and saving me? So let's look together at what the Bible has to tell us this morning. The Bible tells us that through the cross, God himself satisfied the demands of divine wrath. Before the cross, the Father faced a dilemma the dilemma is simply this. Almighty God is a God of love. He loves you like nobody else has ever loved you. Listen to how Exodus 34 describes the love of God. It describes him by saying, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins. It's an incredible description of how God loves, of how much God loves, of how intensely God loves. And one of the things that you need to know this morning is our God is a God of love. He looks down on us and he sees people who need strength, need faith, need hope, need forgiveness, need mercy. And he offers it all in a power of love. It makes our greatest expressions of love pale in comparison. You know, we're moving on now to the next holiday, aren't we? And the next holiday is Valentine's Day. And the best thing about Valentine's Day is this is that time of year when those little candy hearts hit the stores. And I love those hearts. The truth is, I was going to buy a bag so I could hold one up and say, this is what it is. And I went to the store the other day. And you know what? A bag of those little hearts $3.88, and I thought it's just not that good an illustration. <laughs> 
But I love those hearts, don't you? And they all have something to say. <coughs> one of them will say, love you. Another one will say, uh, be mine. There's even one that says, hot stuff. But you know what I've never seen on a Valentine heart? I've never seen a candy heart that said, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. But it ought to say that. Because it's the greatest expression of love that we can find. The Lord abounding in mercy and grace and truth. Here's the thing. And most of us would love to stop right at that passage. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I love the idea that God loves me so much. But there's still a dilemma. And the dilemma is simply this. And yet the God of love is also a God of justice. Unfortunately, Exodus 34, 7 doesn't end with this expression of God's great love. It also says this, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. What is that? That saying, that is saying, and this God, this God of great love is also a God of justice, and that God of justice will not overlook will not bypass the fact that in our hearts and in our lives we continue to be sinful people. We continue to be people who know what it's like to rebel against God, to commit transgressions, to choose iniquity. And a price has to pay. The same God who loves so deeply takes sin so seriously that it has to be dealt with. And it has to be dealt with justly. We don't have a God who will say, well, I don't love that one as much, so I'm going to punish that one. I don't care so much for the way that one looks, so I'm not overlooking anything. We have a God of justice who also says the price has to be paid. And only the God of love can pay that kind of price. Something had to happen to resolve the conflict, the dilemma between love and justice. And some try to resolve it by saying this, well, God loves sin, uh, God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. As though to say, so God's just going to say, let's just let bygones be bygones. But the Lord continues to say, I'm sorry, a price still has to be paid. He says it's not enough to simply think, well, God loves me, so he's going to let things go. You really can't say God hates sin and loves the sinner unless you're also willing to say God hates sin but loves the sinner, and so he warns the sinner to repent before it is everlastingly too late. Well, I bet that never makes it on a heart either. God hates sin. He loves the sinner. And so he warns the sinner, something has to be done. Unless that sin is dealt with, you will pay an eternal price for your rebellion.
here's what the Bible tells us. Between the love and the justice of God lies the cross. Honestly, I could stop right there and be done for the day. Between the love and justice of God lies the cross. It is the only solution. You see, the cross fulfills the demands of justice. Every time you sin, justice demands a price has to be paid. The more the sin, the more the judgment accumulates. Before long, you've incurred a debt that you can never repay. We are so prone as human beings to say, well, you know, God's not going to condemn me for this little sin or that little sin or another little sin. But the problem we have is, number one, we're not all that great with little sins. We're pretty good at big ones too. But as we say to ourselves, you know, God's not going to hold me accountable for this and this and this. The problem is it's almost like overusing a credit card. You just accumulate debt and accumulate debt and accumulate debt and accumulate debt and you keep saying to yourself, well, one little thing doesn't matter. Well, maybe not, but one little thing and then another little thing and then another little thing and then a bigger little thing and before long, you've got a, a debt that you can never, never repay. We need the cross because we will never be able to pay our own sin debt. That's why the Bible says in Galatians 2.16 that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now, what does that mean? That means you can't handle it by yourself. You're never going to be able to pay that debt. If you decide, I will depend upon myself to buy my own forgiveness, it's never, ever, ever going to happen so where do you turn for help well the answer is found in Galatians 2.20 where Paul declared I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me our hope is found in the promise that we are justified by what God did through his son on the cross so what does it mean to be justified? It means my sins are forgiven. But it means so much more. It also means my sins are removed because of the cross. It's not that they're forgiven. It's that they're not there anymore. I don't have to pay the price because the price has been paid. And when the price was paid, the sins disappeared. But I didn't do it. He did it. I love how one person described what it means to be justified. He said, what God demands, the cross provides. Isn't that good? What God demands, the cross provides provides the cross of Christ is where love and justice come together and the death of Christ on the cross buys our freedom 
and allows us to experience God's love. You see, the cross declares that only God's grace is sufficient. So what is grace? The definition I've always heard was the unmerited favor of God. I bet you learned that one too. I bet they taught you that in Sunday school when you were coming through the youth department. The unmerited favor of God. And that's good, but I'm not sure it goes far enough. I think this is what the Bible means by grace. Through the cross, Christ has freely given us what we could never earn or deserve in a thousand lifetimes. The harder you tried, the more you did, the greater your effort, the more you fall short. But through the cross, God does it all. Grace means Jesus saves you because he loves you. And he chooses to offer you forgiveness. Not because he sees potential in you. Not because your good outweighs your bad. Not even because you're lovable. Because sometimes we're just not that lovable. Kimberly, I was listening to you read your book a while ago, and you were talking about that little two-year-old that's into everything, tears everything up, throws everything away, and loses everything. And I was sitting listening to you talk about a two-year-old and remembering those days, but I was also thinking, so why do we have that four-month-old puppy at our house right now? Because he sounds just like that. And sometimes he's the most lovable creature in the world. And sometimes he'll curl up at your feet. And sometimes he'll look at you with those big old brown eyes. And you think, oh, how have we gone this far in our life without a boykin spaniel puppy? But sometimes he's tearing up my stuff. This morning before I could come to church, I had to pry my tie out of his teeth. Sometimes I'm in one room of the house getting ready, and in the, another room I'm hearing Judith going, no, 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 no. But we love him. It's been a long time since I've had a puppy. Be a long time before I have another one, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but the point of it is, he's not always lovable. And neither am I. And if grace depends upon me being lovable or having earned God's attention or God looking at me and saying, well, I know he's not much now, but I see the potential in him, I'm in trouble. I need a God who's going to look at me and say, yeah, he's a mess sometimes. And he can leave a mess behind him. And sometimes he's hard-headed, and sometimes he's not paying attention, and sometimes he is downright rebellious. But I love him. And I choose him. I'll even die for him. It is the grace found at the cross that begins the process of making you what God wants you to be. And that's why we find all the hope we need in the cross. Ray Pritchard tells the story of a woman who came to Christ after having been lost most of her life. and That meant most of her friends had no idea what it meant to follow Christ. And one of them 
confronted her one day and began to make fun of her. I guess now that you're a Christian, you know everything about God and the Bible. And she stopped and she thought. And this is what she said. I don't know much, but I do know that Jesus would rather die for me than watch me go to hell. And he would rather leave heaven and die for me than for me not to go to heaven to be with him. She stopped and then almost to herself she said this, Jesus stood in my shoes at Calvary and now I get to stand in his. That's what it means to experience real grace. That's what it means when the Bible says God so loved the world. Why do I find all of my hope in the cross? Because this is what the cross meant to God Almighty, the great Father. It meant if I will give my son so they can be forgiven, then someday I can bring them home to spend eternity with me. Is it worth paying that kind of price? God says yes it is. It was at Calvary and it is today. The Lord looks down on all of us and each one of us and says you know what? I love you. But the price has got to be paid. And my son's the only one that can do it. So I'm going to let him. You are worth that much to God the Father. And maybe you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There's never come that light, uh, that time in your life when you heard that loving voice reach out to you and say, I just want to forgive you. I want to buy you back for myself because I want you to spend eternity with me. And you've never said yes to that. But maybe today that's exactly what you may need to do. You may be sitting here in this congregation and you're thinking more than anything in the world, I need a relationship with Jesus. And if you are, then in just a moment when we stand and we're going to sing an invitation hymn and I'm going to be here at the front, you just come up and say, today's the day when I need to trust Jesus. And I'll be glad to introduce you to the Savior. Or maybe you're here as a follower of Jesus and you're recognizing, you know what? I need to be in a church like this one. I need to belong to this church because this is where I hear the message of the cross. And that's what I need. And you need to come and just say, I want to plant my life, I want to plant myself, I want to plant my family right here in membership of this church. Or maybe it means that as you've heard this message, God's been talking to you about something very specific in your life that you know you need to deal with and you need somebody to pray with you and I'll be right here and I look forward to greeting you. We're going to stand, we're going to sing. As God speaks to you, you come. Let's stand.
been a good time in God's house today. I'm glad we got to share this time together. Let me encourage you tonight. Back at 5 o'clock, we're going to be back in the book of Romans. I'm looking forward to sharing that study together. It's going to be a rich time. And then I am looking forward on Wednesdays to, uh, I'm going to be teaching both our Wednesday morning and our Wednesday evening group for the next uh, number of weeks as we walk through 1 John together. And I hope that you'll come. If you can't come at lunchtime, you can come at night. If you can't come at night, you can come at lunch. I just want everybody to hear 1 John. We're going to have a great time. And I look forward to beginning that study with both groups uh, this coming Wednesday. I've been looking forward all week because last Sunday we celebrated Reverend Bird becoming Reverend Bird. And it's, been a, it's made the whole difference this week, hasn't it, Larry? We've treated you with great respect and, re and reverence and regard. <laughs> but I have been looking forward all week to saying, Reverend Bird, would you come and pronounce our closing prayer? And then we'll have our final song as we dismiss. Blessed are the flexible, they shall not be bad or shaken. <laughs>